Welcome back to Takes by the Lake for June 22nd. Thanks for joining us on this Friday. I'm Doug LaMarieSubCleveland.com, and I'm trying to be a pro because the guest this week is a pro. We talk all sports here on Takes by the Lake. We lean toward the Browns. The Cavs just drafted Colin Sexton on Thursday night, but this interview I did earlier in the week is with someone who is a professional talker, a deep thinker, and a huge fan of all Cleveland sports. And part of what I want to do here on Takes by the Lake is interview people from other walks of life who, at their core, are Cleveland sports fans who are just like you. We did it with Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, several months ago. We did it with Courtney Shane, who's a Seattle comedian. This guy does stand-up comedy. He's a Cleveland fan. We did that a while ago. Today, Hugh Hewitt, political commentator all over the place. MSNBC, NBC. He's a radio host. He was a moderator for several of the presidential debates. This guy is a heavy hitter, but we're talking to him because he's a huge Cleveland sports fan. So Hugh is a guy who has a certain set of opinions. And I'm going to tell you, if you lean a certain way, you might not want to listen to this. If you lean toward Detroit sports, you can turn this off because Hugh doesn't like Detroit sports. Hugh likes Cleveland sports. He's a huge Browns fan. He's a Browns season ticket holder. He's a huge Indians fan. He's a huge Cavs and LeBron fan. And we had a great, interesting discussion. He grew up in Warren. He worked in the Reagan administration. So he's been in Washington, D.C. He oversaw the building of the Nixon Library in California. So he was there for a long time. He's back in D.C. now because, again, he's all over the place. And we did talk a little bit about the intersection of sports and politics because I'm always fascinated by that. If you get on Twitter, you always see political people and political writers tweeting about sports, and Hugh tweets about sports all the time. He'll be talking about um, an interview he did with a cabinet member or he'll be discussing a Supreme Court case, deep stuff on Twitter, and then he'll tweet about Brown's Super Bowl odds. So you always see political people tweet about sports, and you see sports people tweet about politics sometimes. It's an intersection we can't avoid. Hugh, as we were getting ready for the interview, said that when when he's on Meet the Press, the green room at Meet the Press, all they do is talk about sports as they're getting ready for the show, and all Hugh does is talk about Cleveland sports. So this guy's famous. I like talking to famous people like they're a regular fan. He's an excellent interview because he's a professional talker. It's not a political interview. We talk about sports and 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 could we see people in sports run for office and that kind of thing. But mostly we talk about his life as a Cleveland fan and what he thinks now of the Browns, the Cavs, and the Indians. I had a great time. He said he had a great time. We did this on Tuesday. Um, he tweeted about it. Um, I tweeted about it. It was a fun discussion. So if you guys have any ideas for the future podcasts about famous people you know who are Cleveland sports fans, let me know. 
I want to get Drew Carey on, right? I mean, I want to get I want to get some more people like this and have them talk Cleveland sports on takes by the lake. So again, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Lamarice. L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. You can follow Hugh on Twitter at H-U-G-H-H-E-W-I-T-T. And you can listen to us talk right here. Thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. Thanks to Hugh Hewitt for joining us this week. And I hope you enjoyed this interview talking Cleveland sports on Takes by the Lake. Doug, great to be on with you. And go Browns. Good to be here. You have... A job and a role where you talk and tweet about all these very important issues all the time. And then I'm following your Twitter and you're telling people how good the Browns are going to be. And you're tweeting about LeBron. How would you characterize Hugh as someone who grew up in Warren but has lived most of your adult life, right, in places other than Cleveland? How important is Cleveland sports in your life? Uh, I, I would say, Doug, that's a great question. Um, I say on my Twitter feed, I tweet about politics and sports, and I do a little religion as well. Uh, and you're right, I went, I'm from Warren, I went to John F. Kennedy High School down there. State champions, often, <laughs> Division 5 or 6, I think. But the uh, it's very important, and I found that in the world of politics, a lot of people who are obsessive about politics are also obsessive about sports. And for me, uh, I've been going to Browns games since 1965. My dad had season tickets from 65 to the exile. I bought four in 99 when they came back. Actually, it was two at the start, and, and then I moved to four. Uh, all the way to the present day, uh, I go to the Indians whenever they're in town. I used to live in L.A., and I'd go see them when they played the Angels. If they play the Nationals, I'll go see them now that I'm in D.C. May, may even drive up to Baltimore this summer, depending on when they are there, to see them play. Uh, I, I've seen the Cavaliers play on both coasts, and hoping LeBron decides to stay this, uh, this summer waiting to see the draft this week, waiting to see if we trade that away for Kemba or with the Spurs or somebody. Uh, but it's part of my day. And, you know, if you don't have sports, you kind of go crazy being a politics-obsessive person because you you got to find something on which to agree with people and talk that doesn't divide you. I, I, that's a point I wanted to get to, and we'll get to it now. I think that's so interesting. Um, obviously, we're just in a divisive political climate. That's just, you can't argue that at the moment. Yep. And I do feel like, in moments like this, that sports does take a greater role in our society because, just that point, people are looking for something. They're looking for something fun. They're looking for something to talk to their friend about, and either to agree about or to disagree about, but with less... With the stakes not so high. Do you feel that, Hugh, when we're like this? Sports is even a bigger deal? Yeah, my my friend Eugene Robinson is uh, the columnist for the Washington Post with whom I'm off and on on Meet the Press. And Gene is a, believe it or not, he's from that state up north. And he went there, too. And so did I to law school, but that doesn't count. (laughs) And so what do we talk about in the green room at Meet the Press? We don't talk about, well, we'll do some politics. We'll save it for the stage, though. You don't want to leave your best stuff in the green room. We'll talk about Ohio State and Michigan and 13 out of 14 games. And I, or Tim Alberta comes on my MSNBC show. He's a Detroit kid. He's a Sparty. And I'll drill him on the Tigers and the Lions. And he'll drill me on the Browns. And Don Reese, who is the executive producer of Meet the Press, is a huge Yankees fan. And maybe uh, the most avid uh, consumer of data about Indians players who've been traded to the Yankees over the years because he likes to drill me. Chuck Todd is an encyclopedia of sports. I mean, I'm just a fan. I'm not a 
Uh, I don't play fantasy baseball or football because I'm just a, a Cleveland fan. So I don't I don't like to follow other teams and other players. I like to follow my clubs that I grew up with and still follow. But Chuck knows everything about everyone. It's kind of scary, actually, how much he knows about sports. He could be running the Elias Sports Bureau if he wanted. But it, what it allows us to do increasingly um, necessarily is talk about something other than the very divided. I, don't, I think I can tell you this. We are talking about LeBron, and I think he would fit well with the Wizards. Mm-hmm. He went somewhere other than the Cavaliers. Because of, uh, you know, the front court is really good. I, I just think he would fit here, and they've got the assets to make a deal, and, and I think they've got enough cap space where an owner is willing to spend. And Chuck wondered out loud, does he really want to come to D.C. and have to deal with the politics of the city every day? And that's an interesting point. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he would like it or hate it? I don't think he shies away from it. I th- I think um, I think he's confident in his views, and I do not think he's afraid to share them. And I think even he he feels like it's important to share them at times. I, I would wonder if it how much it would increase, how much the questions would increase, and just Hugh, it's almost the same point of I think there are a lot of people in sports that like to talk about politics. But to a point, right? Because, again, sports right. is supposed to be fun. So LeBron's not afraid to talk about politics, but I don't know if he'd want to talk about it as much as people would want to if he was in D.C. There's this line with sports and politics, right? They merge well together, but yet sometimes it's not what you want to do, it seems like. You know, LeBron James has always done it better than any other professional athlete I'm uh, aware of presently playing, right? If you yep. look at all the sports right now, he does it better, as you put it very well. He's very confident of his views. I don't agree with his views, but he's very confident in them, and he's great at expositing them. He doesn't use symbolism, except rarely uh, he will use a symbolic. He'll just explain what he thinks and why. Uh, it might get old, but on the other hand, people would probably give him more space here than they do other places uh, right. to say, I'm, I'm your athlete, uh, and I'll talk about it when I want to. And this is sort of the new realm. I'm talking to you inside the Beltway. More media here now than I even think in uh, in L.A. or New York. Uh, yeah, all the networks are up in New York. But in terms of the number of keystrokes struck in a day, in, in terms of Twitter, social media, broadcasts, uh, interviews, it's here. That's why the Nats are a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. If the Wizards ever get to the finals, they will be... The city will freeze the caps. I mean, I'm not a hockey player, a, a hockey fan. Uh, we had the Crusaders, right? We had the Barons before you were born. Right. But it, it, it never got into the bloodstream, so I'm not a hockey guy. The town went crazy because they haven't won right. anything. They're, they're pretty much as bad as Cleveland in the winning department for the last three years. Uh, so they went crazy last week. Absolutely crazy. Nuts over Caps hockey. If LeBron came here... Uh, it would be, I think it would be better for his long-term career and brand than any other place besides Cleveland. I think staying in Cleveland is best, but but that's another subject. There is something, and I and I want to get into some nitty-gritty Cleveland sports views with you, but, but this one other question I had about sports and politics. Given that we're in a world where we have a president who took a non-traditional route to the presidency, didn't come up through the political world, what do you think the future could be for sports figures in politics at the highest level? Obviously, we've had it. Jack Kemp was a vice presidential nominee and a former NFL, uh, former AFL player, I think NFL too. But there, we know Anthony Gonzalez is a guy who's a former Ohio State star and is now the Republican nominee for a House seat. Where, what do you think the future could be for sports figures in the political world, and has Donald Trump's success in a non-traditional way 
blazed a path for people like that at all. Absolutely. We're looking at Mark Cuban right now as someone who might actually run for president. He is not known for his uh, PayPal investment. He's not known, I think, for Shark Tank. He's known for being an NBA owner. That's how he broke onto the scene. That's where he became a celebrity. Celebrity is an entree into politics. LeBron James can run for office. LeBron James can run for president when he quits if he wants to. Uh, heck, he doesn't even have to. He doesn't even have to wait if he wants to. Uh, he can run, but I, I think he wants to play out his you know, career. But anyone with enough celebrity who can then take that celebrity and transfer it effectively to the public square in terms of standing on a debate stage. And I, I never gave President Trump a chance. Uh, I was as wrong about Trump as everybody else was about his ability to win. No, the grip that he had on the American uh, public psyche, because I never watched The Apprentice, not one minute of it, Doug. Mm -hmm. I'm not a reality TV person. I watch sports when I'm not doing politics. And so there's always some sports to watch. There's always Sports Center. There's always Fox Sports Ohio. There's always Cleveland.com to read. I mean, I don't think Terry Pluto has written a word I haven't read. And uh, and so I've got a different outlet, but a lot of people watched Trump and they took into into their brain an image of him as a decisive businessman who would make hard choices. And when I got on the debate stage, it didn't matter that he didn't know the details of any particular policy, even though it astonished Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, Dan Abash and I in four different debates. It didn't matter to voters. What mattered was what they thought about him. So celebrity transfers and any athlete who demonstrates capacity to communicate can just fill in the blanks later on policy. And there are a lot of athletes who have a capacity. I mean, Tom Brady, mm -hmm. uh, basically he could be you know crown king of Massachusetts. I don't think he even has to run. <laughs> it's like Mitt yep. Romney running in Utah is going to have to work to keep the vote below 90%. But there are some athletes. Uh, LeBron, Tom Brady, uh, there, are, there are others uh, who could step up and immediately transfer their celebrity to politics. Hugh, when I think about someone like you who is who was born and raised in Ohio, but again, then went off into the world, and you're talking about how important sports is, how much you talk about it with your friends, with the people around you, what was it like for you during the championship drought when there Obviously, we know what Cleveland sports was, and here you are in L.A. or Washington talking with your friends, and you know there's not a lot of there's not a lot of rings to point to for Cleveland. Versus now, when the Indians are a World Series contender every year, when the Cavs have LeBron, when and we'll get to the Browns, they maybe are on the rise. What's it been like for you to have gone through that and now be in a place where when you talk Cleveland sports with fans from Detroit or New York or whatever, you actually have something that can prop you up a little bit. Yeah, the highs are high and the lows were lower. Uh, being a Cleveland sports fan is a secret handshake wherever you are in the world. I've had to travel abroad a lot. When I run into someone with a, a Block C or Chief Wahoo or a, 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 an Elf or, a, you know, the Brown stuff. Reggie Jackson was on a plane, and honest to goodness, I didn't recognize him, Doug, because I was, had my head in the book. And I was wearing a Browns hat as I got on the plane. He said, oh, so you like uh, football? You like baseball? He said, yeah. And he said, oh, have you, I love the Indians. He said, well, I played against the Indians. I look up, it's Reggie Jackson. <laughs> and so we talked sports. Yeah. Next, you know, he's 72, 73. Wonderful guy. Terrific conversationalist. You can talk sports anywhere in the world. It is the solvent of everything. It's the first conversation. The second one is high school and where are you from? But the first one is sports. And I think that's one of the reasons people wear sports gear. It's kind of like a, a beacon 
of the like-minded, both as to the team and as to the uh, the pleasure one derives from watching athletes excel. But when you're a Cleveland fan during the bad years, you take a lot of you're the brunt of a lot of jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during the '90s with the Indians, uh, I I have two boys and a girl. My boys are diehard Cleveland fans. Okay. I made them all memorize the Indian starting lineup during the 90s, right? They could go from Kenny Lofton through Albert Bell through Sandy Alomar. They they, they mourn when we trade Alomar, uh, Roberto. They, they they knew Charles Nagy. They they got that. And so they carried around with them either a, either a burden or a gift. It was a gift two years ago, Cavs one. And it's been a burden forever with the Browns. But that they, they go to the Browns backers. There's a bar in Newport Beach where my uh, adult sons go now on Sunday morning because I've given them the virus. And <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, you go into a Browns backer deal. I don't know if you've had this experience, Doug, if you've ever been on the road. Uh, the Browns backers are pretty intense. They're, they're wonderful people to watch football with. I, I'd really like to hit all three teams with you quickly, Hugh, if we can, on the Browns front. I, I know you tweeted something the other day about, you know, the Browns Super Bowl odds, I think it was. We know there is hope around this franchise. A, what did you think of the last two years at 1-31 and in this attempted rebuild? And B, how would you characterize your level of hope compared to anything you've, you've felt around the Browns since they came back? Well, I've always made them prove to me that they're bad, because I'm, I'm sort of an optimist. So, But I think uh, I have irrational exuberance about the 2018 Browns. Uh, I was talking yesterday. Brianna is my season ticket uh, associate. And the Browns do a very good job marketing to their season ticket holders. They call you up during the offseason, even when you've renewed. So hmm. Brianna calls me up. How are you feeling? I said, I think we're going to the playoffs, Brianna. I really do. And uh, and I called my brother on Father's Day to wish each other. He lives in Warren. Uh, mutual Father's Day, and we were talking about this, and he's worried about Thomas and whether or not Sean Coleman can step in. And uh, but I am so excited. We have three running backs and four receivers and two quarterbacks and, and a defensive backfield, and I'm just off the charts. They've even become kind of a Baker Baker touchdown maker convert. <laughs> but I got so many Oklahoma people around me here in town, mm-hmm. uh, and they uh, there's a there's a program director at Salem, Phil Boyce. Uh, who's in charge of all the national shows. Huge Baker Mayfield fan. Really? He's okay. watched every snap of Baker Mayfield. He grew up in Denver. He's an Oklahoma fan. He's watched every snap. Called me up on draft day and said, you guys have got the greatest quarter. And I was, I, I didn't want to go with Baker. I, I was not a, I think he's too small. But then I've been converted. So I'm excited. I just think, I think we're going to the playoffs. It's interesting and something that I want to really delve into going into the season and during the season is that the the rest of the division is certainly hitting a point where they could be headed down. Now the Steelers, while Roethlisberger is there, probably will always be the Steelers and we know they're a great franchise with great leadership. But there's an opening there, Hugh, and I think that's important too because, you know, if you're in a division with a bunch of great, you know, teams with great young talent, that affects you, but it feels like there's an opening, and if the Browns are hitting it, they're headed up, and the rest of the division is is maybe headed down, it, it feels like this could be a moment for the Browns where everything's coming together. Could be one of the great surprises. I mean, you look at Josh Gordon, uh, Jarvis Landry, and you, and you add in Corey Coleman and Antonio, and you put them together with uh, Tyrod Taylor, who's a possession quarterback and a, and a, a move-the-ball, move-the-chains quarterback, and then you add in... Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb, and Duke Johnson, and you say to yourself, 
there's offense there. My brother yep. is always a little more pessimist than me. He says, yeah, but you know, Joe Thomas retired. And, and, you know, I can't think that that would cripple us. Meanwhile, old Boz coming back and Miles Garrett won't be injured. And we've got Joe Schobert. I mean, we just, uh, Jabril Peppers will play within, yep. you know, a football field of the line. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just irrationally exuberant about the Browns going into the summer. I can't wait for more camp news. Hugh, when you think about the Indians, and I think at the moment um, there are a lot of comparisons to the, the 90s Indians. We're still in the midst of it here. But they, they clearly have the talent. They have an unbelievable starting rotation. Uh, it, I don't even know how to phrase the question, but it just they've got to get one here with this group of talent, with this core that they have for another couple years. This just has to be their moment, it feels like. do you? Does it feel like to you they're going to get one? Or when you look at the Astros and the Yankees and the Red Sox and all the other contenders in the American League, do you fear that, you know, no matter how good the Indians are, that it, it, maybe they've missed their best chance going to extra innings in Game 7, and is it going to be hard for them to break through in the next couple of years? You know, I, I can remember 1997 very well, and I'll never forget 2016. I was doing radio every day with David Axelrod. Cups fan, and we were demonstrating that people who don't agree on anything politically can love baseball. Of course, I came out on the short end of that. I do think it's a great club, although you tell me, Doug, I honestly don't know half the bullpen. Uh, I, I really yeah. don't. And so when I look up and I don't know half the bullpen, and we've got uh, Shane Bieber and Plutko, who I've, I've never really seen throw a full game. I, I've got the Indians package on on cable, but I, I got to get up at four o'clock in the morning. So I, you know, I watched last night. And the Indians got ahead to 4-0, and, and uh, Bauer was on the mound, so I, I turned in for the night, and lo and behold, it's 6-3 at the end. Whoa. And and it's because this bullpen is just not uh, a ring bullpen yet. And Miller's gone, right? But do they have the do they have the arms? Do they have a plan? Do we give up Greg Allen for a reliever? Do we give up uh, anyone from the minors for a reliever? Yeah. It's such a deep minor league. I just don't yeah. know what we do, but we got to find something, right? I think they've got to use it, and, and I... I'm ready to burn the future for now because the window is here. And we saw how effective the Andrew Miller trade was. And they gave up very good prospects in that. But nobody regrets it. And I feel like this, I did a story earlier this this month, just that they're they're putting a lot of innings in in guys who aren't making much money. And, and Brian Shaw obviously hasn't been great in Colorado, but he's missed. And then some of the other guys who aren't that expensive and were good before aren't that good right now. And so I know an arm here, an arm here gets hot. I think they have to make at least one deal in the bullpen, maybe two. And I think they need to make one for the lineup too. But Hugh, I just feel like this isn't a this isn't a time to save. This isn't a time to worry about is this player going to help us in five years. I think they're in win now, and I think that means do what you got to do with a pretty decent farm system to make trades to help yourself win in the next year or two, and that means especially in the bullpen. I think they will. They have to, right? Uh, well, this is why you're younger than me, uh, and people my I'm 62. <clears throat> people my age who went up during the Gay Paul Phil Segui years. The Indians never made good trades, right? We never made a good trade. And so because we never made a good trade, I'm so reluctant to trade anyone. Even though in the old days, we had and Chambliss for, you know, uh, Charlie Spikes uh, and people I can't remember. And, and, and so the the Kekic, the, the, the inclination of someone who grew up with the 60s Indians and the, and the 70s Browns is don't trade anyone ever for anything. Uh, and... <laughs> But you're right, 
and I, I've gotten to that point because of the Cavs. Yep. And I don't want, you know, if they have to trade number eight uh, in order to keep LeBron here, I hope you'll tell them that. What do you want, LeBron? Because you can win now. Go into the finals, playing every game for four years. How great is that? Yeah. You know, even if you don't win, your your team played every game for four years. There's no other franchise other than the Warriors that can say that in all of professional sports. Sort of like this last week, I was trying to tell people watching uh, the U.S. Open, no one's won back-to-back Open since Curtis Strange. This has happened twice in my lifetime. Watch this. And so the I'm a, I'm a win-now guy. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm 62 and I want a World Series. Yep. <laughs> when I'm alive, when I can dance in the streets and jump up and down and act stupid, I want a uh, World Series ring. You bet. Hugh, when you think about LeBron and, and you think about him as someone who's who's followed uh, Cleveland sports for more than half a century, just where where does he fit, sort of in your um, in your heart and in your head in Cleveland sports? Um, and and what do you, we don't know what's going to happen, but. What are you preparing yourself for? And and would you were you angry or how did you feel when he went to Miami the first time? And if he leaves this time, how would you feel? Would you continue to be a LeBron fan if he's playing in L.A. or Washington or Houston or somewhere else? Or would you just be a Cavs fan and you'd say thanks, LeBron, and and he's gone now? How, what have you thought of LeBron and what might you think of LeBron if he's not around? Again, this goes to how old are you and what have you seen in Cleveland sports? I was watching the decision with my boys who were uh, young teens or whatever they were at that time. Uh, they're adults now. And they were crushed. Yeah. And I was angry because they were crushed and and because of the way he did it. But I'm, a, I'm an older father now. And when he gave the explanation, I didn't go to college, you know, it clicked for me. He said that makes more sense than anything I've ever heard an athlete say. And when he came back, I'm jubilant. If he leaves, I'm okay with that because adults have to make choices that are in the best interest of their family. And he'll never pick up a tab in Cleveland, right? Because he brought the ring. He broke the curse. So um, I hope he stays because he is Northeastern Ohio in a way that is embodied, in a way that no politician really can communicate uh, his letter I know he had help drafting it, but it was so sincere. Uh, and his, he's such a great dad, such a great husband, such a great role model. And again, we don't agree on politics, but he's a wonderful person to have from your community. And Akron St. V's used to kick the, the snot out of Warren Kennedy, right? We'd play him <laughs> in football. And uh, in the little Catholic school league, back this is way before LeBron in the 70s, and they'd kill us. And so he, he put... Akron St. V's on the map kind of embodies little Catholic school athletics that uh, I admire a great deal. So maybe he doesn't want his son to grow up in that. I was listening to uh, Pardon's uh, podcast mm-hmm. this week talking about maybe he wants his son, Bronny, to be in L.A. And there are some great schools out there. Or maybe he wants him to come out here and play at you know, Basketball Academy U here in, in D.C. Uh, in the Virginia suburbs. I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, and be with the Wizards. He's going to do what's best for his family, and as a dad, I'm just going to say, I got it. I understand. Hugh, you're talking about some of these season tickets you've had over the years, and and, and you've lived in L.A., lived in D.C. How often do you get back to Cleveland to watch these teams? Okay, here's my secret. I've never used my Cleveland Browns season tickets. I give them to my brothers and my nephews and my sons because the first day I bought them in 99, I said quite stupidly to my brother, I'm never going to use these for the first time until they're in the playoffs. (laughs) 
as you know, and who's <laughs> going to hold you to that, right? My brother's going to hold me to that. As you know, we have not had a playoff game. And so what became a one-season deal became a two-season deal, became a 15-season deal. And so my nephew calls me up. He's a Jets fan. He's going on Thursday night. My nephew calls me up, Steelers fan, going for the Steelers game. My boys will drive there or fly there for their game. My brother will use one of the games. Last year when they went to London, I, I had to screw one of the regular. Because I've always said, I'm not going to come until they're in the playoffs. I think I get to come this year. So, uh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, talk about sunk costs. If there's any economist out there, never use them, never been in the seat. I'll tell you where they are. They are on the top row of the 50-yard line on the lake side, which is exactly uh, the, the row my dad had a few seasons, uh, a few sections over. They're under the overhang. So that uh, the snow doesn't fall on them, and the rain doesn't fall on them. They're the best seats in the stadium, in my view. But I'm I'm waiting till it's a playoff game. When that playoff game comes, I'm I'm coming to find you, Hugh. I'm going to come find <laughs> oh, you in your seats. Man. I, after 17 years, 18, 19 years this year, I will be there. It's it's so fascinating, and I'll let you go on this one, Hugh. Just to follow you, and again, um, on Twitter, when I follow people on Twitter, I mostly follow. Sports writers and political writers, because I like to follow experts about things that I'm interested in, and those are two things that I'm interested in. And it's just fascinating to me, you just wear your Cleveland fandom on your sleeve, unabashedly. Um, what is the kind of response you get from from people? And it seems to me, Hugh, that, that people certainly know you for your expertise in the political world. But I'll tell you what, I think almost everybody knows you love Cleveland sports. And and so how how much of Hugh, of of the person that Hugh Hewitt is? Obviously, you're you're in politics, you're you're a father, there's many important things in your life. But it feels like from afar, being a Cleveland sports fan is 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 pretty high on the list of what matters to you. Well, you know, uh, my, my wife of 36 years, my kids, uh, my family, my country, this all matters to me a great deal. But Cleveland sports, uh, you know, the guy listening, maybe Rob Gennari, who I used to drive back and forth with Kim and Scott Phillips, Warren to the Lake is about an hour. And so you grow up, right? You spend your summers and your uh, Pete Franklin, right? He's in my head. I broadcast a lot of the way that Pete Franklin broadcasts. Uh, Pete Franklin used callers in a way that I've always emulated. So he's in my head. You're younger, and uh, and it's it's maybe the only thing to have done in those years mm -hmm. was to play Stratomatic baseball, uh, and you didn't have cable, so you had to kind of fiddle with the antenna to try and pick up Pittsburgh to get an Indians game because we had blackouts, right? And so it is very much a part of who you are if you're from the land and you grow up there. In the, in, I'm born in '56, so it's the the worst years ever to to be a Cleveland sports fan because I'm too young to remember Jim Brown. Yep. And I'm old enough to remember Larry Brown. And he was my favorite player, in fact. Uh, and so it's very much a part. But I think everyone is who's a sports fan. And I can tell you pretty much everyone in politics, like Tim Alberta, is hardcore Sparty and uh, he's a political writer. Great guy. can be around for years. Chuck is a Miami Hurricanes fan. Uh, Larry King. I, I sat down for the first time with Larry King, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago in L.A. He starts talking about the Hurricanes. And that's the common bond. And uh, you know, as a college football writer, um, probably the most passionate sports fan in America is a college football fan. Mm -hmm. you agree with that? Because it, it's it's part of your existence. It's not just a team. You feel like you're part of it. I agree with that. Yeah. And so you can always touch college ball with somebody. Yep. 
And I got a, I, before you go, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Um, Urban Meyer, Jim Trestle, who is the better coach? It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating discussion. I do think probably Urban, um, from the standpoint of innovation, that he's an innovator in the recruiting world. He was an innovator in the spread offense era, was an early adopter of that and helped change college football. Um, but I, I think there's something, obviously, especially in college coaching, there's something to being like that leader of a bunch of teenagers. And they had very different styles, but Jim Trestle was really effective at that. Jim Trestle's guys really love Jim Trestle to this day. So um, I would say Urban from the innovation standpoint, but I think you know when you're at a place like Ohio State and you're going to get great talent no matter what every coach at Ohio State always has, it's about getting those guys to love you and listen to you and play for you. And Trestle was really good at that. So it's pretty close, yeah, my, but I'd uh, say Urban. My, my cousin Bonnie Tarantino taught him at St. John's. Oh, for real? Urban. But Jim Trestle at Youngstown State has done such amazing things. I wanted him to run for Senate when uh, Josh Mandel had to drop out because of the health of his wife before Jim Renacci got in. I thought Trestle could be, you know, like Brady running in Massachusetts. He's obviously... Yep got great capacity to lead in any situation and they both take care of their boys right they both take care of these young men and turn them into good good young men so i'm impressed with both and it will be a long time to wear but to tell that i'm i'm fascinated that that jim trussell obviously could have coached again if he wanted to Never wanted to coach anywhere but Ohio State. That tells me a lot. I don't know if it tells you anything, but it tells me a lot. And I think that also is a common denominator of Urban and Trestle. And I think it's not required in college football, but it certainly helps. If your job, just like just like what we're talking with fandom, Hugh, both those guys were Ohio State fans, and then they became the coach. And when that's the case, and a lot of times we know that's not the case. When that's the case, it's just a little bit different. And it helps you, and I think it makes you happier in your job, and I think it makes you better at your job, and they've both had that. It sure does. It sure does. As you like your job, I love my job, and uh, it's great to be able to do what you love. And uh, I appreciate the new generation of sports writers who are coming up, by the way, at the PD. And I still call it the PD, even though it's Cleveland.com. For me, it's the PD. Uh, it, it, it's a great generation. You have a lot of heavy lifting to do to follow Bill and Terry and uh, before them, Hal Leibovitz and yep. – uh, uh, all those Rush Schneider, I had him on the show once, but it's a great tradition because great fan bases and great communities make great sports writers. So thanks for doing what you're doing for having me on. Thank you, Hugh. And I, I keep telling people right now, I don't know that there's a more interesting sports town than Cleveland with the teams that are competing for championships and what the Browns are trying to do. It's a, a great place to cover sports. And the narratives, the oh. arc of the story, if you've got patience absolutely (laughs) absolutely hugh hewitt thank you so much for your time here on takes by the lake hopefully we can do this again sometime thanks doug after the ring comes you bet all right thanks you and that's it for another takes by the lake thanks as always to you guys for listening get subscribed so you don't miss a single takes by the lake make sure you're subscribed to our other podcasts from cleveland.com orange and brown talk on the browns cleveland baseball talk on the indians Wine and Gold Talk on the Cavs, and Buckeye Talk on Ohio State football. Um, Lots of great stuff for you guys. We certainly appreciate you uh, helping us build our podcast network here. And I appreciate someone like Hugh Hewitt agreeing to come on and talk Cleveland sports. So um, next week, 
I'm going to build off something that Hugh said in that interview about irrational exuberance about the Browns. And we're going to have multiple people on to talk about whether, believe it or not, people are too excited about an 0-16 team. People seem to have a lot of hope and enthusiasm about the Browns, and they should. But is it possible that they have too much? That's what we will tackle on the next Takes by the Lake for now. I'm Doug Maurice, and we'll talk to you next time.